0: Welcome to the Austin Art Talk podcast. My name is Scott David Gordon, and I'm a photographer, podcaster, and writer. And I love art and artists, and I love asking questions and having real conversations. I have a curious nature, and I'm really interested in people, who they are deep down and why they do what they do. What do they love, and how did they get where they are, and where are they headed? Austin is a great city, and I'm grateful to be in the midst of so many talented and amazing artists and those that support them. If you don't want to miss an episode, be sure to subscribe where you listen, and visit scottdavidgordon.com to learn more about me, other podcasts I produce, and to read my almost daily journal where I share my photography, thoughts and connections, and books that I'm listening to or reading. And reach out if you have an idea for your own podcast and don't really want to deal with the learning curve and all the equipment. Maybe I can help you make your dream come true. This episode is brought to you by one of East Austin's newest fine art galleries, Ivester Contemporary, now an important part of the Canopy Creative Complex. Ivester is focused on connecting the Austin community with a diverse group of Texas-based artists and connecting those artists with a broader audience beyond the Lone Star State. The gallery has two rotating exhibition spaces and compelling new shows every month. Owner Kevin Ivester believes the arts offer a space and opportunity to form a deeper relationship to ourselves, our local community, and with the world. Come down to the gallery and join the conversation. You can follow the gallery on Instagram at Ivester underscore Contemporary, I-V-E-S-T-E-R and visit IvesterContemporary.com to make an appointment to see the latest exhibition in person now for the interview as artist amy Schofield states on her website she's investigating the relationship between things and the things she is working with very often are discarded objects or what would be typically recycled the interaction between nature and the human-made world and our effects on the planet also figure into her intentions and concerns as she captures and manipulates what catches her eye into something more curious and brave like many artists she has a compulsion to create and she uses her intuition and powers of observation to find the next opportunity or subject for the curation of her unique refined and thoughtful images and sculptures moving forward her focus is shifting more to impermanence as she considers what is real and what is not and the ephemeral nature of everything Here is Amy. Okay. (laughs) Okay. You ready?
1: That's just exactly the radio lab beginning. Okay, so it's eight oh seven. Okay.
0: Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Well, thanks for being on my podcast, Amy.
1: Thank you, Scott.
0: So yeah, you're. um, You have an exhibition coming up at Lydia Gallery. Mm
1: -hmm. Lydia Street Gallery. Lydia Street Gallery
0: Mm -hmm. soon. It opens Friday, Friday, the 14th, 14th. So this interview will most
1: likely come out the day after that. Okay. But how long will that be up? Kind of indefinitely. Oh, nice. she doesn't have something scheduled right after me. So at least a month and then maybe we won't remove it right away. Yeah. And um, she'll be open on Saturdays and by appointment after the reception on Friday.
0: So, yeah, I was trying to remember how long have we known each other? Where did we meet? Do you remember?
1: At some gallery opening. Yeah, probably. it must have been a
0: gallery opening.
1: <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> that
0: had to wow,
1: be. I don't know, Scott.
0: Probably at big medium, I would say.
1: So probably six-ish years, maybe?
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think one of my favorite things that we do as friends is go on little photo journeys. Yes. Uh, <laughs> I think we both have this enjoyment of an interest in just wandering around spaces and taking weird pictures of close-ups and looking for patterns and the mix of man-made and nature and all that. Mm-hmm. I think we're both kind of in alignment there with that.
1: Yeah, I think we're both nature nuts yeah. first. And for me, like just living in a kind of an urban environment, especially out here where I am, is kind of industrial. Yeah, um, You kind of have to find a way to enjoy the grubby parts of yeah. where you are. Yeah. And I think we're both into that.
0: I really like kind of your big tagline on your website, you say investigating the relationship between things.
1: <laughs> Is that what it says? Yeah.
0: <laughs> okay. It does. That's
1: good. That's pretty good. <laughs>
0: You came up with that. I mean, I I think, and I'll just kind of go a little bit further just to give you a little bit more to mm -hmm. go off of, um, which I really, we were just talking about this doing our little photo uh, field trips, your work kind of dealing with nature and the man-made and the kind of the collision of Mm -hmm. the two. Uh, This is coming from your website, which I really liked. You talk about like, so you have human innovation and design, and then you have, you say the relentless. An unmanageable character of nature.
1: Wow, that's good.
0: Yeah. <laughs> so, what's that all about? This is kind of like the approach of your art career, right?
1: I, or just the way I go through life. Maybe. Yeah. Okay. I'm drawn to patterns, like you just mentioned, or heaps. I'm drawn to heaps of things and multiples. Mm-hmm. I'm drawn to materials, particularly in heaps. Yeah. Multiples of them, and I, I'm really attracted to incongruity. So. That might be what that is about, the relationship between things where something doesn't seem like it belongs, but because they're together, they make a unified object or concept. So like the last, maybe the last time we went hiking in Onion Creek Park, and Mm -hmm. we spent like 45 minutes taking pictures of a piece of carpet hanging in a tree
2: yeah right
1: was <laughs> from a flood from 25 <laughs> years ago or something and i am still kind of haunted by that yeah because of the folds and the way that the man-made object became organic yeah in that environment like it had weathered and gotten weird and but the the, the relationship between the natural forms and this weird crap that washes up in the trees
0: a lot of discarded things i mean you're dealing with a lot of that's like the bulk of a lot of your material for your art is discarded objects a lot of
1: times yeah
0: that are repurposed in some way
1: yeah like i have a hard time thinking of the right word to describe that i call it leftovers yeah because like i don't like found object art because then you picture a bird made of shovels yeah (laughs) (laughs) that's exactly it yeah right (laughs) <laughs> um, so just leftover materials and just coming up with some other way to to use them to make art that yeah. has nothing to do with their original purpose. Yeah, and I, f- I think of it kind of as honoring the object a little bit. Like something can have meaning and value even if it's not using its original purpose and it's decayed. Mm-hmm. I think it can still be meaningful. Yeah. So I think that's my kind of my it's not a direct mission but it does yeah. it is a byproduct of what I what I like to do
0: I really enjoy and I obviously we were just I was just mentioning this we have a very similar visual kind of intensity like I love looking at everything and and I'm sure there are many people that would hike through onion creek and never give a second mm-hmm. look to all this stuff all these huge pieces all these concrete things that are just sitting in fields and these all these little weird things that you come across that you were just like oh cool look at that look at that you know we're just like huddling around taking pictures i mean i'm sure people riding by on their bikes are just like what the heck (laughs) but i love that i know i just i feel like it's such a cool way to go through the world visually like looking at things kind of in awe kind of like thinking about all the possibilities or just appreciating the light and the form and the shape of it and the, displacement i don't know it's just fun
1: i feel like it's a gift yeah you know, that's what like, i'm that's
0: what i'm getting like at.
1: A, a gift to be able to see that because then we get to experience joy all the time yeah if we want to tap into that yeah and i think that's the, the kind of the beauty of this kind of observation and um interaction yeah. with our environment yeah yeah is that we get to experience something positive that other people don't just because they're oblivious
0: yeah And I think that what you're saying ties in just with kind of another part of maybe your mission is kind of a, is a more environmental awareness of the world, Mm -hmm. awareness of, you know, all the things that we use, the mess that we make, you know, kind of taking responsibility for that in a way. Mm -hmm. That's, that's a big part of it too, isn't it? Yeah.
1: I, I don't start out to make an environmental statement or a statement at all, I think in my work, but I tend to be you know, I'm drawn to some material and by just the nature of reusing it to make art is a kind of preservation and reuse. So just the process of using that stuff and not putting in the landfill has environmental impact. So I, I, one of my like elevator statement kind of things is that I'm um, drawn to the materials and I play with them until a design emerges And then afterwards, I come up with some kind of statement about it, like the meaning Mm. becomes clear later. I don't think I want to make a thing, a sculpture that's about climate change. I have a bunch of crap and I put it together and it ends up being about climate change Mm -hmm. because it would have been in the landfill. And it does represent like one piece in particular, two pieces I've done with thousands of Thousands and thousands of little silver strips of mylar that I peeled off of bubble envelopes when I yeah. was working for a friend doing an eBay shipping business thing. And every time I peel that little shimmery, silvery piece of plastic mm. off, I go, that's not recyclable and it's not biodegradable. I have to keep it.
2: Yeah. <laughs> so I
1: started kind of hoarding them. Yeah. And then I'm like, what do I do with them? And oh, this is going to be a segue, but. I uh, had an opportunity to go to Angers, France for a trip a few mm-hmm. years ago as part of a cultural exchange with, it's a sister city, and some cool people I know here had were bringing musicians and chefs over for an Austin week, and they needed, yeah. oh, we need an artist, installation artist. I'm like, how about me?
2: Yeah, nice.
1: So, I went along, and they they were not very organized in getting stuff together for me to right. have a place to make a thing. And, yeah, and, yeah. I thought, I better bring something with me that I can make something out of, of some sort that I can travel with. So I took thousands of those strips and I hand applied them to uh, 120 square feet of maybe more, yeah, 6 by 25 feet of double-sided adhesive film. Mm. So I could roll it Whoa. up, schlep it with me, and then go find something to stick it to, hopefully, yeah. when I got there. And I got a couple of people to agree that if I can't find something, we're going to make some kind of costumey stuff, that yeah, be, yeah, geometric yeah. things that people will wear. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, and I did find in the woods a pair of shapely dead trees yeah, that I ended up mm-hmm. tailoring, the, adhering that um, mm-hmm. material to those and then assembling them into an installation as part of the mm-hmm. festival, with the help of my friend Laura, who came along with me, we just worked for like five solid days. Wow, doing that. But that ends up being an environmental statement because I used this material that was all Amazon shipping mm-hmm. chinese made widgets, yeah, that were technological, and finding trees that are dead and in a flood zone and mm-hmm. where they may have perished because of the flooding. Yeah. maybe the flooding gets worse because it all comes yeah, together later yeah. that, okay, it's because I'm an artist who's a conservationist. My work is going to be like that.
0: Mm-hmm. And it sounds like, you know what you're describing. And I know this from other things that you've done. There's like a, is there not like just a, like you're saying days of tedious, repetitive, Work right. Oh, yes. Oh, yes, yeah. <laughs> and how is that? What kind of uh Zen state do you have to get in to be able to do that?
1: If I can get to that Zen, if I have something that's just repetitive, it's really a pleasure. Oh, okay. Like once I get a system and I can do it, I I believe I could work in a factory. Like I hmm. think I have a me- mindset that could just find some kind of pleasure in that. Yeah. Process, and so when I have a project that is Repetitive and getting into a flow. I love it. Just podcast music, listen and, and a deadline is great. And I'll stay up all night, every night getting it all done. And that is when it's good. Mm -hmm. And there are other times when I just keep not getting in the flow and the thing I can't solve the problem and I can't find the adhesive or I can't design the tool that'll make the thing happen. And I, I'm really limited by my abilities. And my techniques, because my ideas are so much bigger
0: yeah, yeah, <laughs> than what yeah. I know how to right, do. Right.
1: But I, I, I get going and I feel like I got to finish the thing and I have to solve the problem. And it's incredibly mm. stressful for me. Sure. I get myself really wound up and yeah, anxious and can't. And, and then this is a, a concept that's come to me in this last year. Hmm. Where, when the idea does come and the answer comes, where did it come from? Yeah. Like, where was it yesterday? Right. (laughs) And now all of a sudden I click, you know, you've had this happen where you just click. Oh, there it is. Of course, that's the thing. So that's one question. Another Mm. question is, where did the inspiration come from? Yeah. Like when I have an idea and I visualize an end item object, where did that come from? And so I've started to, I'm yeah. starting to wonder, like, is there some realm,
2: yeah, right. some
1: mystical realm where all these solutions and ideas live, and you just have to be in the right headspace to kind of poke your head up into the yeah. realm and download that information? Yeah, yeah. And I think Elizabeth Gilbert talked about this kind I was of just going to bring that up. Right? From a little from bit Big in Magic. her book. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Where she had another author that she knew write the book that she didn't write. Anne Pratchett.
0: Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: And... I mean that was a great example of Oh yeah. I had an idea.
0: Unbelievable synchronicity.
1: Yeah. And we've all had millions of great ideas that somebody else did.
2: Yeah,
0: so essentially instead of us. Essentially Elizabeth was saying in the book, just for anyone that hasn't read that, that she had an idea for a story. It was very specific and she kind of neglected the story. For years she neglected it. Timing wasn't right. Knocking on the door and she kept neglecting it. And then eventually it just kind of Went away, and then she came across Anne Pratchett, and Anne Pratchett wrote that exact book, and they had no connection whatsoever to each other. And somehow that muse of that story um, went to Anne because it wasn't being taken care of or fed by Elizabeth, and so she was kind of saying her theory is then that like when you have some kind of an some kind of an idea, you have to take action. Because it wants to be realized in the world, so you, if you don't do that, then it's going to move on to someone else who will realize mm-hmm. it. And I was like, wow, which, that's really powerful.
1: Which kind of relieves you of obligation. Mm. You could. like yeah. Rather than feel like, oh, I've got to do it. It's such a great idea. I was like, maybe I can pass it on and yeah. let somebody else do it. That's a good way it.
0: to look at it, too. Why not? Yeah.
1: Um, yeah, so this is something that's been on my mind this last yeah. during this COVID year, where yeah. I've done lots of outdoor exploring and just... at Especially in the beginning, just biking everywhere. There were no cars on the road. And I just would spend hours, days roaming around and looking up and down the alleys and going to parking garages and Mm -hmm. just feeling like
0: a renegade. Yeah, Yeah. like
1: no one's watching me and I can do what I want. And I did. Um, Nice. (laughs) But there were times when I'd be riding down a street and go, wait, I got to go back down that alley. Mm. Several times where I just went, I should turn around. And go down the alley and find a pair of ironing boards. Like, okay, that's random. I better stay here for an hour and assemble those (laughs) ironing boards into various sculptures and photograph them over and over again. And I just felt like this is the best day of my life. I mean, how did that happen to me that I encountered this cool cool, weird thing?
0: Yeah, that intuition. That's part of what you're talking about, this mystery. Like, where does the intuition come from? yeah, And
1: now I kind of feel like that's my job as an artist is to follow my intuition. Yeah. And, and be open. I, yeah. And if I don't, I'm not doing my job right. If mm. I don't stop and turn around and go see what's over there, mm-hmm. you know, I'm, I'm cheating or something. Yeah. So it's kind of, it's fun. Yeah. Another time that happened was when I was working with Northern Southern Gallery mm-hmm. in the beginning of covid where Philip Niemeyer had asked a 12 or 13 artist to just ramble around and create something spontaneously. Yeah. Kind of like, you know, like that. And so yeah. I was doing a lot of kind of scouting and thinking about it and didn't have any clue or idea what I might do. But I was biking along Waller. I thought, I better go turn around and check out that alley. Oh, look, there's an empty lot. I went into that empty lot and there was an antique dining table in the middle of it, in a heap, busted up, hmm. and I really think it's the same dining table that my ex husband and I had that he'd inherited from his oh, grandparents, wow. like <laughs> I'm like it looks really familiar, well, yeah, and so I had a friend come over and we kind of reassembled it in the middle of the um of the field, and I was like, it needs something to become an artwork. I need to put something yeah. in the middle of
2: mm-hmm.
1: candelabra i don't know what a meal and I just didn't know what, but I wanted it to be incongruous. And yeah, I just yeah. thought, well, what do I have? What kind of? I have yeah. lots of stuff. What right. kind of stuff do I have? And I had happened to find a, two or three quarts of plastic, clear plastic gems in a parking oh, lot, right. and I scooped those up because, of course,
2: yeah, right. After it's photographing a pile of them, a heap for, of things. Yeah,
1: <laughs> scooped them up, and then I thought, I'm going to just stick those to the top of the table in a circle. Hmm. I don't know why. Yeah. I right. don't know why a circle and why those things and why silver and it's like, yeah, it turned out like I loved it. Yeah. And I'm I'm just um I'm intrigued by like why did that come to me? Where yeah. did it come from? Yeah. And one thing that's I'm I'm learning to trust is I should count on it. Hmm. I should count on that. Yeah. Answer coming. Yeah. And I should count on the idea coming because it's it will it does yeah.
0: it's there it exists yeah in it's this mysterious in realm or something
1: yeah it's got to be in the right
0: you know i was thinking about this table with these gems on it and you know i feel like there's kind of this stereotype of like a lot of people that don't understand art maybe and they're kind of like they might go to a contemporary art museum that was like i don't get any of this that it doesn't make mm. any sense to me but just the way you're describing this table and the kind of how it all played out and how it made you feel creating it and look seeing it finished. I mean, it just, to me, it's almost like maybe it's enough just that it might be a curious thing that brings a little smile to someone's face. I mean, it doesn't have to be like some grand design mm-hmm. or some kind of... um you know, really elaborate uh, meaning necessarily to the art, right? I mean, it could just be like a cool, kind of curious thing you see in a field, and that's that's its purpose, that's its life. You know what I mean? Yeah. I feel like people overthink art too much, and they think it has to be some big, big deal. You know? And maybe,
1: maybe that's like where we were talking about. You and I find that in junk in the mm-hmm. woods, yeah, because we're tuned into it. Maybe this is just a more um, deliberate. Opportunity, yeah. Like we yeah. create an opportunity for somebody who might not be looking around to see something that might kind of be charming or yeah. funny or weird or something to give them a feeling.
0: I mean, I almost feel like the stuff that we might find going through a park like Onion Creek Park, those things that we found are a combination of just random decades of activity and... Neglect. Or, or am I don't know what this Yeah, neglect yeah. and... Uh, nature and deterioration and we see it almost as like an art installation but you know the things that you're creating are more intentional but they kind of serve the same purpose they're just kind of yeah, created in, in a different way maybe i don't know i don't, I don't know I don't, that i've c- completely flushed out that idea the way i wanted to but mm. yeah something thought about like that. that Yeah,
1: but maybe that is a, gives it a meaning like it gives people an opportunity to take a look yeah, or they might not have taken a look, and yeah. maybe they'll have a little experience of joy, like we do with yeah garbage.
0: And I would just have to encourage people not to overthink it, yeah. you know.
1: Yeah, well, you know, this if I can talk a little bit about another thing I did during COVID sure. that is in line with this, which also was through Northern Southern Gallery, and it was a mm-hmm. project like this with he calls wild art, um, called two, mm-hmm. and the idea was to for the artist to kind of find a little pathway that people could follow and experience something. Yeah. And I went over to Roy grow park at a disc golf course over on East pleasant Valley riverside area. And when I've been in there just biking and walking around, I'm, well, anytime I'm biking and walking around in the woods, I'm enchanted by these crazy wild grapevines.
0: Yeah, right.
1: Right? They're really big and thick, like two inches in diameter, three inches, and they wind and twist from the ground up in the sky. Yeah. And they might not connect to another tree for like 35 feet. Yeah. But twist and loop and maybe loop around some other branches. Like, how... Yeah, it's how like, how, how is it this that? even physically possible? How, how did it yeah. do that? Like, how did you structurally physically go from the ground up there without touching anything and do all that crazy loopy action and the crazy loopy action to me is really sculptural Mm -hmm. and I love them Mm -hmm. and I think lots of people don't see them so I picked out 10 of these loopy things over in Roy Garo Park and wrapped them in really bright red yellow and blue it's called tree flagging tape that, mm-hmm. that thin nylon-y kind of tape you see in the woods sometimes on a tree they're gonna save or execute Yeah, and so I I just wanted to kind of deep in the woods have these mysterious sculptural vines that people might Mm -hmm. not have ever seen before. And so that was, I was deliberately doing that involving the viewer so that they would have an experience of seeing this, something they might not have noticed. Yeah. I was really fun, really gratifying. And it turned out, yeah, it was cool. Yeah. Yeah, You took
0: me on a tour and Mm -hmm. I photographed some, some of uh, those that you did at another area too.
1: Yeah. Right. And that That other neighborhood. Mm -hmm. And I had the benefit of us, snowstorm when that was up. So I got to see them in a white It was like sculptures in a white gallery look Mm -hmm. more like art than sculptures in the wood. So that was, that was pretty lucky.
0: That is cool. Yeah. Yeah, I love, I mean, I love color anyway. So just like, kind of like the, you know, you're in the woods and it's so monotone in a way, especially these woods uh, that you're talking about. And just to see this pop of these like swaths of, color on these vines yeah it's really cool incongruity yeah Yeah. there you go
1: Mm.
0: well as i do i mean i feel like we've gotten into your work quite a bit but maybe we could just back up a little bit and just maybe you could help our uh the listeners understand maybe where your whole art journey started you know in your life you know like how did you even end up being an artist
1: um how does anybody do you ask everybody that do they ever Really have an answer?
0: Uh, I mean, you know, people sometimes they have like a, well, when I was five, I did this, and when I was 10, I did this, but well, you know, kind of a thing.
1: Uh, I, However, you want to explore. Okay. It. I grew up in the mountains in Colorado. So I grew up in nature in yeah. a really lovely environment. And it was, I grew up in a really cool, interesting looking neighborhood where it had five or six, seven different kinds of very distinct architecture mm-hmm. all within a few. Houses, yeah, including a Japanese house where every stick and piece of slate and rice paper had been imported and constructed wow. from Japan. Wow! An authentic cowboy lodge that was there for hundreds of years when cowboys used to be up there, and there were arrowheads. And so there, there was a lot of stimulation just yeah. within the environment I grew up in, both nature and architecturally. Yeah, and my neighbors were all very. Pretty interesting, cool architects and psychologists and arty, you know, like, Mm -hmm. I don't, what's the term for people who
0: appreciate aesthetic, I
1: guess so, without sounding too snobby, it was down to earth people who like to camp and horseback ride and stuff. But, um, so I think the environment nurtured and fostered creativity in all of us who grew up there. And my grandma was an artist and a poet and a mm. science teacher So in Oklahoma. So way back in the whatever 30s, she got herself a master's degree and wow. taught high school science. And so that was whom I raised my mom. Mm-hmm. So I think my mom was exposed to lots of art. She never thought of herself as an artist, but it was part of our family yeah. experience. Mm-hmm. And then my dad was... Worked for uh, Martin Marietta in the space program, so mm. we had this kind of sciencey arty yeah culture that we grew yeah. up in, with just being outside all the time. And my mom knew all the names of all the birds and the rocks and the trees and the operas, and so wow. she she imparted a lot of yeah um, cultural just information to yeah, us, just yeah. in our life in our lifestyle. So I think it was kind of. I got acknowledged for having a good imagination as a kid. Like that was what stood out about me. Mm-hmm. And I think that was a good thing to get to hear as a kid. Like, Oh, yeah. you know, I think that really, I had esteem around that. And I mm. think maybe that helped foster my creativity. And I don't think that's something people say to kids anymore. Like, I don't know if yeah. do they even have imaginations anymore. I don't know if they have an opportunity to sit and think and, Make stuff up. I'm not sure.
0: Or are they just consuming things that other people I'm, have created? Yeah. I'm for, I, don't I don't
1: know. I don't know. I, that's a whole nother. Yeah. I, we, <laughs> we have opinions and not enough information to bother yeah, with that. Right. Um, so I study, I went to you no, know, no big deal university in Denver and, uh, studied English things because I like to read and write. So I did that. And I also took art classes and I just, I ended up having more credits toward English. Then I had art toward art, and I got an English degree. Yeah, but I think I, you know, I wanted to do art and do more art. And it's as a grown-up now, I have this conflict between my compulsion to create and my desire to not make up, take up more space in the world. Mm. And that, that that's satisfied by using stuff that already exists yeah. to make my work. Yeah. But I I know there are artists who just make 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 work all the time. And I just feel like I need a reason. Like mm-hmm. it's hard for me to just justify. And of course, my work's not that fun. <laughs> so maybe if it was more fun and I enjoyed charcoal sketching and watercolor and stuff, I would be making more. But I, I feel like I did creative things throughout my life. And maybe it was the way I dressed or the tablescaping or the dinner parties or yeah. that kind of, that was my mm-hmm. creative outlet was decor and design and those kind of things. Mm-hmm and i had i was a photo stylist for a long time so i worked with photographers doing set dressing and wardrobe and food styling which i still mm. do which is kind of a form of sculpture yeah and so i was trying to do creative work because i knew i was creative but i didn't think of myself as an artist up until about 12 15 years ago mm. and for me i was asking you a little bit earlier like how does an artist Know when they're an artist and yeah. when do they say it? And for me, it took exhibiting work, like yeah. making work deliberately to show at something where people would look at it. Right. Not just making cool, arty things to give to people. Yeah. So I don't know. Was that an answer to your question? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Very okay. good. Okay.
0: It, so- it sounds like what you were, when you were kind of describing the difference maybe you might see between yourself and the way some people create art, it seems like maybe you're more inspired by what you encounter in your world, as opposed to just generating something standing still in your studio. Like you have to be kind of out collecting or visual visually collecting or physically, physically collecting things or kind of exploring and looking for inspiration, following your intuition. That's how these things kind of get generated. It's not just that you're just sitting in front of a easel. You know what I mean? Right? (laughs) Right. I mean, that's what you're kind of describing. Right. It's more of like all this input from the outside first, and things,
1: yeah, and the materials, yeah, like right, seeing some pile of cinder blocks, say, mm-hmm. might inspire. Mm-hmm. I will see that and want to make stack something up and make something yeah, out of it. Yeah. When I see a heap of things, well,
0: what's this? What's this story? I, I was kind of I did some research, obviously, I always do, and um, I don't remember where I read this, but it it kind of made it sound like your first foray into this type of uh, collecting thing was with this beaded chain. Is that oh, was yeah. that kind of the beginning yes. of it?
1: Yes, yeah, yes. yes. This, this is that's a good question for me to answer. I don't know if it's the same for everybody here, but this time <laughs> this era of my life, I had left a long-term relationship. I had quit my work and I was ready to make some big change in my life. Yeah. And I thought if I'm gonna take this big old risk and Start my life all the way over like I'm a college kid and go rent a room from a friend and, you know, start yeah. all the way over with nothing. I'm going to be an artist now. I'm yeah. going to take it seriously and I'm going to go for it. Yeah. Like, you know, it's just sometimes we come to places like that in our lives where we right. get pushed to a place where like, I got to finally do this. Mm-hmm. And about that time, I noticed a nightclub that was on 4th in Colorado-ish 6th in Colorado called Oslo hmm. had closed. And I'd only been in that place once. But it had closed and they were doing something, building something else there. Then 10 more things have opened there since then. But the one time I was in there, it was like this super white Andromeda strain, modern, <laughs> yeah. chic environment with those you know, ball chairs suspended from the ceiling. And there was a wall of this chrome bead chain that yeah. was, I obviously never forgot it. And when I saw there were, Closing up that building, I thought, wonder what they're doing with that bead chain. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, I learned that it was a Matt Lucky project. He's a guy who's opening all the bars in this town, a yeah. whole bunch of them. So I, I said to myself, if I can get hold of some of that bead chain, I'm going to make it change in my life. Uh-huh, uh-huh. It was going to make it the thing that was the catalyst that would make yeah. me an artist. Yeah. So that was my first work was made with the bead chain that I went and scavenged from this construction site,
2: Yeah, like
1: a 50 gallon container, you know, a trash can probably about half full. Wow. That I gave him like $125 for. And, oh, then, okay. and I um, t- had to wash it. It was filthy, and you know, because yeah. the construction site and I was washing it with a hose and I was draping it on a fence and taking pictures to send to some friends of mine who I just gone to Marfa with Because they were going to be showing in Marfa during the Chinati exhibition. That was Steve Dubov and um, Hank Waddell. Mm -hmm. I felt like, this is a little sidebar, but spending a weekend with those two guys, I didn't know them at all. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: Went out there in a cargo van for a weekend with these strangers. And I felt like that was my graduate degree in Mm -hmm. art. Was getting to spend time with them and just interview them and ask both of these guys who have immense... Histories and are the real deal yeah. and just ask them all the stupid questions yeah, I could yeah, think yeah. and is this a dumb question but can you answer this for me and I felt like man and I got to go see the Chinati Foundation I got exposed to the whole minimalist the whole art thing, thing there I was yeah. like that just blew my mind and changed my life so that trip out with them I just sent them some pictures of the beach chain and they said oh that's awesome do you want to show with us oh wow and I went, what's awesome? I just was hanging this stuff on the fence to wash. I just wanted to show you I got it. And I was like, oh, they see something here. Yeah, yeah. Like, if those guys see something here, then I'm going to take it seriously. Yeah. So, that was when wow. I just start making some work with that, that bead chain in particular. And I had ideas of things I wanted to do, and I just couldn't make it happen. I just didn't have the experience. And like so many of my ideas, I didn't have the technology yeah so i yeah. did some other stuff with it and i when i couldn't make the sculpture i wanted to make i i took the bead chain out into the woods I'm like i'm going to take it on a hike and see what comes up yeah and just took photographs of these heaps of this beautiful first of all it's like 18 foot lengths of this chrome like the chain like you pull on your ceiling fan yeah yeah but the little beads are are quarter inch in diameter yeah so it's super size Mm-hmm. Dramatic stuff, so I took big swaths of it and draped it in trees, and I took photographs of it, and I ended up printing those on fabric and suspending them and and mm. various other things with it but that was yeah. that was my threshold yeah I've now shown <laughs> and, and it was an ad hoc gallery you know in an old um used furniture store called Christopher's, where they cleared out their furniture and we made it into a gallery for th- four, four different artists and the Chinati open house in October in Marfa is kind of like South by here
2: mm-hmm. where
1: every gas station's got a band in it. Yeah, Like right. every place is a venue and it's kind of like that too. Like we all just sh- go out there and are like these scavenger artists.
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Creating a
1: space for ourselves to get seen maybe. Yeah, right. So that was that was the bead chain story.
2: That's cool.
1: And I'm using the bead chain in my exhibition that's opening Friday. Oh, nice. Because I still have, you know. <laughs>
0: You still have Bleed it. me,
1: I have plenty of it. <laughs> yeah. I've used it over and over again. I've repurposed it and rebuilt it into different things. And, and in fact, a lot of the work I'm showing in uh, Lydia Street is leftover scraps and bits and pieces from other big sculptures mm-hmm. that I've made into small sculptures. And I realize that I have kind of a snout-to-tail approach mm. to art making, where if I make a giant sculpture out of City water pipe that I made um, yeah three twenty-one foot trees a couple of years ago, and they were made from like eight inch blue PVC. And every time I drilled a three inch hole to stick the branch through that tree trunk, this was these are going to be trees. I end up with a disc of blue PVC, yeah. and I'm like, well, stash that shit in a yeah. box. And of right. course, I have it, and I've been carrying those things around since t- 2013. Yeah, so pulled those things out and made a sculpture out of those things finally which kind of were inspired by my wrapped vines so there's a relationship between these works and the materials and the kind of the shapes of things maybe
0: multiple layers of recycling yeah
1: in fact i started to call it something like layers or strata
0: yeah 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 the show it's so funny i wouldn't think of you as a hoarder though i mean it's not like i would you know
1: i prefer hoardist
0: okay But I mean, it's not like, you know, any places that you've lived that I've been, I've never been, it's not like, oh, I can't even walk in here or something. No, it's, I'm, um, it's pretty organized.
1: I'm also what I call a control enthusiast. Okay. (laughs) I have, all my stuff is in contained spaces and now I have a big closet where I can close the door on it, which is the best thing ever for an artist is have a door to close on your mess. Yeah. But no, I've got, I got a lot of,
0: yeah. Yeah, you got a lot of stuff. So you're using a lot of different materials. We talked about the beaded chain, uh, you know, metal, rubber, tire tubes you've Mm -hmm. used, plastic bottles you've made jewelry out of, the mylar you mentioned, uh, wood, trees, rocks. uh, And then oftentimes you're photographing the things that you're creating that are temporary in that moment. Mm -hmm. You're creating something and you're photographing it. I really liked one of the things. I thought it was so fun and creative. On your website you have this uh yellow spot, the IKEA bath mat. Yes. <laughs> I just, that's so fun. Like this like this bright yellow spot that you just like took like a gnome all around town and photographed it in different places.
1: I've taken it to Berlin.
0: Oh wow. Okay. I've taken
1: it to Breckenridge, Colorado. Um I don't think I took it to France. I did another little series yeah, in yeah. France. It was a pretty fun story. That started with, I bought this yellow bath mat at IKEA and yeah. I was sitting outside waiting for my friend to bring his car around and it's the same color as the yellow in IKEA. And I'd had it sort of sitting next to a bench by a blue wall. I was like, oh, that's, that's a nice shot. And that's where it was born. Like, yeah. it was just a composition of that color and this color and that. Uh, and then I just, was inspired. Yeah, like I started deliberately go. This is when I started doing the what I call urban photo safaris. Yeah, where I'd go intentionally looking for places where this yellow spot would would brighten up the place. Yeah, you know like, yeah. Or just kind of complete a composition by having that shape yeah. and that color in it in a in a parking garage with one beam of light coming through a hole and put yeah. that spot there. And um, I love I love that series. I would love to something yeah. to come of it.
0: There was one in particular that I liked on your website that was like a kind of a wider shot of a building with like a construction you know, garbage chute coming down the side of the building and kind of going off and pointing into this big dumpster. And and the spot was, like, on the ground, and it looked like it could have been the cap on the end of the chute, yeah. you know? I
1: like to think it was just kind of splopped out yeah. of that tube. Yeah. yeah, it was one of those du- the garbage chutes from, yeah, yeah, yeah. from the construction. Yeah, I'm glad you could notice that, because I thought it was just, it's whimsical, and it's it's yeah. going in grubby, gross places and putting something kind of cute and yeah, fun, that's fun in it. Yeah, How do you
0: think about, I mean, I kind of think about you doing two different things because you're, you know, like obviously, you know, your exhibition at Lydia Street is going to be like physical, uh, three-dimensional work. Mm -hmm. But you're also, I think of you as a photographer too. So how do you, is it all the same thing to you? I mean, kind of whether you're creating something and photographing it or whether you're actually creating something that is the thing to see?
1: Well remember when i said i was living like a college kid like after i started my new life i'm still living that way yeah right (laughs) whatever 15 years later and i haven't so am i (laughs) i've been moving every two or three years for the last whatever years and i'm a grown-up with all my grown-up crap too yeah just all my art stuff but so every time i move i've got lots of shit to deal with and Mm -hmm. it's difficult and stressful and i have a lot of questions about like why did I keep this last time and this time I want to get rid of it mm-hmm. like two years ago I insisted on keeping this box of whatever and this year I'm getting rid of it and I've just been little by little letting go of more and more mm-hmm. and that process has become popular that yeah KonMari yeah kind of sure. thing I'm not anywhere close to that but the burden of hauling crap around in my life has gotten Unbearable, mm. and there have been times when I've lived in small spaces where I didn't have a place to really open up the stuff to make work, and I didn't have space to manifest creativity. Mm-hmm. And I think that's that's when taking photographs started happening mm. for me. it Was around? No, I didn't have any space to make stuff, and I got the experience, the creative process in the moment of taking a photo. And I'm yeah. like, oh wow, this is the answer it doesn't take up any space. It's just ones and zeros, digital photography. I'm like, this is hallelujah. I have had a revelation. So I don't think of myself as a photographer. I think of myself as an artist who uses a camera or let's be real a phone.
2: Yeah. Right.
1: (laughs) For my own sake to have a creative experience because otherwise I'm just making soup to do that. Mm -hmm. Um, I, in this past year have started Exploring impermanence, like I'm really becoming Mm. drawn less to material, not entirely, but I find myself shifting to notions of impermanence, things that dissolve, things that evaporate. I'm going to be heading that way, I think. And I was kind of partly born out of a trip I made to Greece where I had a creative epiphany where I found a stick. And when I set this curvy stick down, the light hit it in a way that created this shadow that had nothing to do with the shape of the stick. And Mm. I just, and in fact, it made a circle where the stick doesn't make a circle, but the shadow did. And I just, it was like harps and violins and it was a corniest moment, (laughs) but I'm like, oh my God, like goosebumps. I've just had an epiphany. Yeah, It felt like a religious experience where I just Mm. had this realization that light and shadow, this is gonna it probably sounds corny but i felt like this is an equation like a mm. special equation i've just discovered light and shadow light and object create a shadow mm-hmm. and the shadow does not exist that's not a real thing just yeah. like a reflection's not a thing they're literally must they're like something from another dimension right yeah. they don't they don't exist and i've been living in this material object world and pushing and fighting and schlepping all this heavy crap around in my life. And all of a sudden I'm like, what is this? This is something new and really meaningful to me. And I felt like I have Eureka discovered something. And I'm obviously not the first person who's ever noticed (laughs) that when the sun hits an object, it creates a shadow. But I started, now I'm starting to see shadows. Like I'm looking, observing, and I'm being more enchanted by the shadow than the thing. So I, now i I just applied for a grant to go back to this greek island where i had this epiphany and i want to make sculptures that dissolve made from salt from this desalination plant i want to take it out of the sea where they can get drinking water and see if i can form it into columns that will disintegrate and return to the sea and i'm like Oh my God, it sounds complicated and hard, right? Yeah, but yeah. I still love the idea of it doesn't exist. Mm. So I think I'm something's happening where I'm shifting to to a preference for making stuff that goes away. Yeah. Wow. And I think it might have been born partly from this realization that I can take photographs of stuff. Of course, obviously, I'm in love with Andy Goldsworthy. Yeah. So it's he, right. you know, that's his thing, is he makes these ephemeral. Complicated, challenging, difficult things. Not always, sometimes not too complicated. And takes gorgeous photos. And then the thing is gone. Like, mm-hmm. So this, during COVID, I've been experimenting with that, with shadows and also with fire and things that burn and disappear. Yeah, I was going to
0: ask you about fire, too. Yeah. yeah. And
1: um, I've been just romancing a particular puddle in this neighborhood that when it dries, it's silty, silty mud like mm. clay. Dries and cracks. I did a work that I've show, exhibited a couple times that had to do with the cracked earth and matches and, um, I've d- taken photographs of the way that things just curl up and create shadows. So I, I really feel enthusiastic and juicy and good about mm. deliberate outdoor environmental art. Yeah. Of course it's, Then I have to go to that. There's no like market for that, you know, (laughs) because you know this is supposed to be my profession, kind of. And there's always that capitalist yeah thing in the back of our minds, no matter what. But how how do you do anything with that? But I I do it anyway. I'll just Mm -hmm. keep doing it. Something will come of it. Maybe I'll get that grant.
0: Yeah, that'd be cool. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, don't. Wouldn't you say you have a compulsion to create?
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I do. I do. And I think we do. We all do yeah. in some way yeah. or another. And um, that did the photography is beautiful for that because mm-hmm. it doesn't have to do anything. I can put it on Instagram yeah, and then people like it. I don't get that. Any,
0: so anyone in the world can see it. Yeah. yeah. And
1: that's kind of gratifying to have like somebody like like the thing that I just, the ironing boards I found in the alley. It's like, wow, that's validating. Yeah. Because believe me, there's not a lot of that
0: yeah it's far and few between yeah it is hard yeah. what about live a large and brave life
1: is that on my website too
0: well it's in that post on your website where okay. you wrote about david bowie
1: oh, and that's right. kind of
0: like the phrase that you came out of yeah when he died and you kind of went through this grieving process and yeah. then you kind of came out on the other side of that with this kind of New philosophy of love, live a large and brave yeah. life. Maybe you could talk about yeah, that. Yeah.
1: So that's, that was a, a weird moment in my life too. Kind of like when I went to Marfa and had the opportunity yeah. and got the beach. Um, 2016, I was about to leave a pretty nice, cushy situation, a great place to live. I had some income coming from a friend and I needed to go live the artist's life. I needed to go do a live work studio situation. I just felt like I got to really keep pushing myself into this scary space, right? Yeah. yeah. And so I made the decision, I'm going to jump this nice ship and go take this risk. And David Bowie died mm-hmm. right then. And I have, everybody's a David Bowie fan. I mean, even our mothers probably had yeah. some frame of reference for David right. Bowie. And everybody has some kind of relationship and kind of, and I was never like a super fan. But something about the timing of his death and all the really good writing about him, I kind of took him on as like a spirit guide. Like mm. David Bowie became my, what do you call that? Like a mentor. Character, because I was just, re- he just, he was a fantastic person. There's like not one shred of anything negative said about that guy. He was a good man. He was kind. He was thoughtful. He was funny. He was brilliant. He was all these things and bravely creative. Did yeah. some super oddball, weird ass stuff all the time. Like, remember he was performed as in the Elephant Man on Broadway?
2: Yeah, right. So he
1: was like wearing a loincloth and played this dis, this kind of disfigured human being. He didn't have a lot of acting background and he puts himself on stage like that.
2: Yeah.
1: And I, I, God, it was hard for me to relate to that kind of bravery, but I thought that's what I need. That's what I need in me to make, yeah. to, to go for it and live this kind of life. So I just took him on. I colored my hair to look like David Bowie and the man yeah. who fell to earth. I, and I, I decided if I make something happen in this period where I've taken the risk, I'm going to get a tattoo that refers to mm-hmm. his last album. So. Trying to remember what the thing was. Maybe it was this France trip, mm. getting the opportunity to go to France and doing that thing and pulling that off. I went ahead and got myself a Black Star tattoo, my first yeah. one in my 50s, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I became a latter day super fan of David Bowie. And whenever I go to do something scary, like make a presentation or have some kind of meeting or have to do something that makes me feel vulnerable and nervous, I play heroes like several times in the car on the way and that's like my fight song yeah so it was it was funny kind of embarrassing to me to be this 50 whatever year year old woman with this david bowie thing going but it Mm. was i'm not the only one turns out oh no No, it turns out there's (laughs) millions and millions of fans that have been that way all along but yeah so he was he was for that period my guide and how he yeah. was the, kind of my, um, what is the word I'm trying to think of? Somebody you look up to and you emulate. Yeah. Cause right. he was creatively brave. He tried everything he could think of and he went for it. And I was like, that's ballsy mm-hmm. and it's scary. So I'm like, I want to have some more of that in me. Yeah. And I will say, I'm not afraid to try anything artistically. Like I don't have judgment about what I do in the beginning.
2: Yeah, <laughs> when I'll
1: have inspiration, I'll go yeah. Ironing boards stacked up in an alley—that is rad, man. That yeah. is art, and that is the world needs to see this. Yeah, in the moment. And, you know, if I need to go and then present that to you know the contemporary, uh, I want an exhibition. <laughs> I, I think I would lose my some of my yeah my nerve about that. But um, that was something I wanted to talk about too, and I forgot where I was going with it. We, a little bit earlier, we'd mentioned. Oh, the process. Mm -hmm. That process of being inspired and completely inflamed by an idea Mm -hmm. that's like a yes. And then the process of making it happen Mm -hmm. is fraught. It's fraught with (laughs) actual physical real world problems of going to Callahan's every two days for another tube of uh, epoxy or trying to find out what is the right adhesive for this thing, because I don't, I can't weld and I got to make these things stick together and I don't have, I don't have all the technology and tools, Mm -hmm. but I want to make this thing. So I've got to use the kind of the stuff that's in that closet. Yeah. And that's what I do. I use the stuff I have to make the thing that's in my mind and it's harder that way. Yeah. It's easier when you have like my sculptor neighbor two doors down who has all the stuff and all the skills and all the art school and all this, but I'm still compelled to do it, but I get really stuck in the, Mm -hmm. I can't, I can't solve it. I cannot solve it. Yeah. I only have this one brain and I need some more brains. Yeah. And then somehow two days later, it's like, Oh, why don't I use wire? Why don't I drill a hole through it and sew it together? You know, I'd like, or, yeah. Whatever, some ridiculous, turns out, solution. Um, but that process of not being able to is agonizing. Oh, sure. And I really went through that a bit before for this show because I needed yeah. one to make a bunch of new stuff and I was just using the things I have. Like, is my, and trying to justify that, is that really art? Is this real what I'm doing? Is this even anything? Yeah. It's hard not to compare myself to all the other artists who seem to know exactly what they're doing and do well and they're good at it. And I feel like, man, I'm always winging it.
0: I'm, I think they are too, though. Yeah, I,
1: don't <laughs> I don't know. The people you interview, I was saying they sound like, wow, those guys got it together. They just have it all
0: together? They know no. what they're doing, man. I admire
1: that. I don't that.
0: think anybody does completely. Not. Maybe not. No.
1: Yeah. So that the process is starts with this beautiful burst of yum mm-hmm. and then goes through this struggling yeah. can't do it can't figure it out luckily i have a deadline or i just wouldn't do it yeah
0: right i Deadlines just quit i got plenty
1: lot. of half-assed partly done projects everywhere um and then there's that question of why am i doing this to begin with mm. what is the point yeah. Right. <laughs> why are we doing this? Why are we artists? Like, why do artists make stuff? And why do we, why am I putting myself through this? Yeah. And there's this, there's got to be some kind of compulsion that's maybe beyond my, I don't know.
2: Yeah.
0: I don't know.
1: Yeah. But why? Because oftentimes I just feel like I'm, bi- I'm building a useless object on spec. Right. Like, it, it, you can't build, make a sculpture with this hope that somebody might buy it or with an intention. That that's the end game is somebody buys it. But in my mind, I want it to go away. Yeah. I don't want it here. Right. So it's a a fraught Ah. process. And then in the end, when it's all done, the the joy of the completion is about 10 minutes. Hmm. No matter how long, if it's a two and a half year, desperately long, hard thing, then it's like, oh yeah, okay. It turned out pretty cool it's like oh my <laughs> god <is that> it? <laughs> and I then on know. to the next thing yeah or... i don't know i don't know i don't have an explanation wow. for me okay that's my yeah. experience of it
0: right Fraught. so what makes it worth it then or maybe this i have I this question written down what's the pleasurable part of creating
1: it's that moment that yeah. moment when you see something yeah that
0: it's the spark of the idea
1: yeah, and just it can be the way the light reflects off a car passing by or mm. the reflection of a something in a window when you're walking by at night. It's like it's hard to imagine that's enough cuz mm. during a year of this last year? Yeah. That was had to be enough in life. Yeah. You know? That had to be that had to be enough to keep one living right. for me. I mean it's like there wasn't there were podcasts and yeah. that Right. And, you know, some wine <laughs> in mm-hmm. there. <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah, I don't know. I I have thought and said being an artist is not a career choice. It's a calling.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Kind of. Like, it's yeah. not necessarily a job you're trying to achieve. It's just something you're, you do.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I'm sure from the outside, some people, you know, people that have regular jobs probably think it's pretty weird or crazy it
1: is yeah it is weird crazy (laughs)
2: right Right?
1: but i i notice that people who are not don't think of themselves as creative always tell you that like oh i'm not creative at all and they say it apologetically yeah so there is some at least some sense in our society that creativity has value
0: yeah and there's like a high bar usually for right And maybe it's similar to Someone calling themselves an artist, like, yeah, I've heard plenty of people say that I'm not creative. So they they're imagining this high bar mm-hmm. to be able to call themselves a creative right. person. Like
1: Gladys was talking about, like to be a writer, you should have published.
0: Yeah, right.
1: That right. was on a previous. <laughs> well, that podcast was like said. Yeah, the, I the, like, there, we have these ideas that yeah. titles mean things, and yeah, and that's an, when you someone says, "What do you do?" And I say, "I'm an artist." they they suddenly want to so, say, "Oh, you mean you." You sell, you make a living at that? Right. Like, well, that's not exactly what I said. <laughs> <laughs> and lots of people will say, oh, do you make a living? Or if they say, what do you do? I will say, do you mean for money? <laughs> is that what you're asking me? Yeah. Is that what you want to know about me is how do I make money? Or, yeah, right. or do you want to know what... I'm into. That's always an awkward conversation. Where, where I put my energy. Yeah. But
0: yeah, the artist is, just, it's more of an identity than it is, like you're saying, a career sometimes.
2: Right. right.
0: Yeah. So maybe here at the end, we could talk about Austin. Like, mm-hmm. what do you like about Austin? What keeps you here as an artist?
1: I call it the Velveeta rut. <laughs> okay. It's like a, I can't think of somewhere to go. that's that's warm and liberal. Yeah. Like all the other liberal places are wet. Yeah. And cold. (laughs) And I'm not interested. I want to be hot. Um, I never complain about the heat. I love... I'm on my bike no matter what the temperature. I just love it. I want to be outside. There's a
0: great art community here too, isn't there?
1: Yeah. I'm not excited about the way Austin's growing and changing. I can't relate to it anymore. I don't feel like I belong here. Like, all the millions of people who have moved in here, they don't feel like my people. They're, Mm -hmm. well highly employed productive busy downtown office people yeah ubering around and drinking 20 dollar cocktails and i don't relate to that very well yeah um but the art scene which yeah. i mean is comprised of the artists and the people making art events happen is so convivial and so supportive yeah i feel like i have a like i haven't had a pod during covid i don't have a collective of people mm-hmm. I see. And my pod was kind of like everybody at canopy Yeah, during those openings where me you too. go to those things that are be 200 people. And you'd know, by name, 60 of them and not remember all their names probably, but
2: yeah. <laughs> it was just
1: such a great feeling of community. Mm-hmm. And that's something I've really missed. Yeah, but me too. one thing I've, I appreciate and I don't think is true in other cities when I've talked to artists in other cities We don't have any kind of backstabby competitive edge. Everybody wants to support each other and help each other and network and share a thing and a tool. And it's 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 wonderful and joyous to be part of that kind of cool network of people at the same in that same yeah echelon. I don't know what the word is. I don't know Um, because we're not those. Google folks were doing this other thing that feels real and meaningful to us. Yeah. We all are energized and energetic and continue to make and continue to produce work and try to find ways to do stuff. What I I haven't noticed is a change in the art buying market, Mm. which is really discouraging. It seems like all those people with all those condos downtown, ought to be buying art. Yeah, and no, really, I've always,
0: I've been thinking about that for years, like how to bridge that. Camp. It just
1: seems like there's, needs to be a liaison between this, mm. between us and them. Yeah. And I don't know who that is, but somebody who can connect us and make it.
0: And inspire those people and educate them to want to beautify yeah. their homes. Yeah,
1: or know? to be part of what Austin really is, which is creative culture. Was yeah. I don't know if it is, was, was, I don't know. That's that's what we sell this city on. But we're the ones who struggle, and we're the ones who sort of are keeping that spirit alive. Yeah. Um,
0: Same with the musicians, probably, yeah, too. Yeah,
1: yeah. But they, at least they get some recognition. Some, yeah, right? maybe I don't a know. little bit. Yeah, but yeah. It's, hard. it's been a struggle. It's been a real—I think it's a hard place to be to try to make money, say, being yeah. creative. Yeah, So that So that's the beauty of this town is— is the actual humanity of our art culture. And if there were a way to create that connection between the money and the creative culture, oh man, that'd be great. I, and I would want to stay. Yeah. But I'm not I, I'm not without the people, there it doesn't feel like much. Yeah. Here. yeah it feels yeah. like it feels like Beirut to me. I mean there's so much it's demolition and construction, but it still has an energy of destruction. Mm-hmm. All that, if it's a vibe it doesn't feel good to me, doesn't mm-hmm. feel like nature and music yeah, and casual yeah. and fun and easy yeah, going. Yeah. And so, um, yeah, if I can't, I, I'm going to get myself to Europe.
0: Yeah, I'm, you're going to move to Greece. I'm going
1: to, yeah, I'm going yeah, to get my ass to like, my Greek island at some point. Yeah. But in the meantime, it's feeling good. Like it's feeling like COVID has produced a lot of opportunities. I think artists are getting seen and heard more. There's more coverage of arts events that are happening. There are more art events, I think, going on than we've seen in a, a few years. Yeah. Just this year so far. So I'm pretty enthusiastic about what's possible, mm-hmm. what could be possible, mm-hmm. where it wasn't feeling that way two years ago.
0: Yeah. Is there anything else you're looking forward to in particular, just personally or?
1: Like after COVID kind of? Yeah, yeah. Well, I guess. <laughs> dancing. Oh, yeah, God, dancing. Oh, my God, I've missed like just dancing yeah. at the Sahara Lounge. Yeah. I've, you know, I've just missed that kind of collective energy, you know, being with a whole bunch of people who are happy and doing the same thing together. That's, yeah. I miss that. And that could be all kinds of, that'd be canopy that's going to yeah. art openings and just that connection of we're all here because we're into the same thing. Yeah. That's really been hard with yeah. to do with that. Yeah. So that's we'll begin that soon. Yeah. Now they're all smugly vaccinated.
0: Right. Right. <laughs> uh, okay. Well, um, I think that's it. Amy. All right.
1: It's been fun. Thanks Thank for you. everything you shared. Yeah. Sure. It was really Enjoy fun. It. Yeah.
0: Thanks. Hey, it's Scott. Thank you so much for listening. I'm so appreciative of your time, investment, in listening to these conversations that I have with these amazing people. I'm very grateful for you. And if you want to learn more about me and the podcast, just check out scottdavidgordon.com. Take care. Thanks.